This is Coda Radio, episode 402 for February 22nd, 2021. Hello, friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. Now running for nearly 402 years, my name is Chris, and join us every single week, perched in the perfect podcast position, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, sir. When the Jar Jar does it, it's legal. Ooh, I get a shiver down my spine. It's legal? That wasn't my best Jar Jar voice. I'm going to take that again. Misa back, bitch. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 right, right off the top. Here we go. One of those episodes. Right off the top. Uh, uh, send your angry emails to <laughs> Wes Payne at <laughs> JupiterBroadcasting.com. I thought we were starting those to Alan still. <laughs> you know, Alan doesn't take the bait. Alan's like, yeah, whatever, Mike. Just yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, Wes, you know, he still wants to make everybody happy. I know. Wes is always helping. Uh, we love Wes. Wes is great. He's helping right now. He's helping right now as we as we are. He fixed your because you had. Okay. Surprise topic, Chris. Okay. Why are you moving my cheese again and changing our recording technology? Listen, you know, I'm I'm going to be real gentle with you, darling. You know, I, I appreciate that you're sensitive to, to this kind of stuff. I hate this kind of stuff. You know, I know. You know how I get. I know. That's I, I understand. That's why we're testing it real good. I promise. Wes was right. But you know how Wes gets. He finds real good stuff sometimes. Get out of here. Why can't we just run like Skype? Isn't that what we started with with Skype? Was it Skype? I think so. I think it was Skype. That was awful. That was bad. I know. I know. You know, every now and then there's new tools that come along. Tools that uh, are not trapped in a web browser. Tools that are dedicated apps on the desktop that solve problems. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Desktop apps? Can we yeah. run on Linux? <laughs> yes. Of course. Mac? Yep. Windows? Yep. Even iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. I don't know about FreeBSD. Well, then I'm running FreeBSD now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I thought you were running Windows 10. How is that journey going still? Is, are you still in the Windows 10 land? Uh, I've been doing a lot of .NET development and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah? I mean, you just want to jump right into this? You want to do this? I think if I ask you for a few weeks straight, eventually we're going to get to the point where Windows is really starting to grade on you. And I don't know if it's this week or if it's next. I'll put it this way. Visual Studio is a dream come true. Yeah. And if the entire operating system... We're like Visual Studio. Right. It would be great. Alas, it's not. I, I See, what I want is Mac OS without the creepy, you know, I'm going to tell you what you can and can't run on your computer stuff mm. with Visual Studio. And please don't send me Visual Studio for Mac. That's just rebranded mono developers, Amarin Studio. No, we've been there. We've done that. But like Windows 10, it's okay. You did this to yourself. All right. 16 gigs of RAM does not go nearly as far on Windows 10 as it does on Pop or uh, or Mac OS. I completely agree. And I'm not even like saying the Apple Silicon magic. No, I'm not trolling. Right. It just doesn't it just doesn't get you the same distance. Like when people have Windows boxes with 32 gigs of RAM, I understand why. So I bought this Lenovo ThinkPad, uh, Yoga X360. I bought it on a President's Day sale and it's a lovely piece of hardware. I love it. It's great. I finally get the ThinkPad love. You all were right. But I did not know that I needed more memory. <laughs> and I really need more memory. Yeah. It's slow. Like, my typing seems laggy in Visual Studio. Yikes. 
it says I'm only consuming like 60% of the RAM, but somehow things just are like the start menu. I hit the Windows key and it's delayed. I don't get it. Like Mac OS is fine and does not have these problems. Well, isn't this kind of the problem with the Windows OEM model is that there's no one that says this is the minimum bar that these applications... I'm just going to play devil's advocate because I don't think I actually believe this. But let's get in the headspace of Apple for a minute. They have a pro-user work group that validates these different machines can run different workloads, and they won't ship a MacBook Pro that can't do a certain kind of workload. I'm not trying to defend Apple here. This just seems to be my observation from the outside. I think you could probably say the same kind of thing for System76. They're going to sell a laptop at a certain category of user, and they won't sell a laptop that can't meet the certain requirements that they have. With And they're looking at it from an application level, an OS level, and a hardware level. But Lenovo, not so much, because somebody else who buys that Yoga that has uh, 16 gigs of RAM and say they're only running Edge and Outlook, it's going to be completely sufficient. So Lenovo doesn't really have like this kind of baseline that they're going to guarantee is going to work well. They're just kind of targeting a real rough demographic, I feel like. Uh, I don't know. This is not a cheap machine. True. I mean, granted, it's last year's model, and granted, I got it on sale, but it's... I don't know. I mean, I have my lemur. Is it a lemur or is it a darter? I always mess that up. You mean lemur. Lemur from <laughs> Carol Rochelle at System76. Yeah, yeah. Rochelle. Rochelle from Paris. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Carl. So sorry. And it's like, granted, the battery life, not great, but it's fast. And I don't feel like PyCharm is lagging behind. The Mac is literally the platonic ideal of perfection because of Apple Silicon. I have nowhere to go from that statement. <laughs> so and it's bold. It seems like 16 gigs of RAM should be enough to me. Well, my diagnosis is then that the paper cuts are beginning to set in already. Well, it's just annoying. Mm -hmm. But like Visual Studio is a masterpiece. Now, m devil's advocate, maybe the things I like about Visual Studio are just so heavy and so memory intensive that that's actually what's causing me issues. Anybody who's trying to run a... a a workload like that is going to have performance issues. It's going to, like if you were trying to do Premiere right now, you'd be having you'd be having the same problems, my friend. Not with my Xeons, baby. Woo! <laughs> so having said that, I solve all problems, being the Democrat that I am, <laughs> which is ironic because shh, we don't talk about that anymore. I bought a very or a somewhat expensive Lenovo monitor. Oh, really? It has a built-in camera and mic. Huh? Because I am going to hook up the Thaleo again as my daily driver. Good call. I saw pictures on your Twitter of yes. the Thaleo open. Are you swapping out components? Again, lo siento, Carl. Lo siento. <laughs> <laughs> I may be modifying the fan to make it quiet. Uh, yeah, you have one of the early models, and I think that's an area that... I have, I have one of the first models that has the... Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little loud. I mean, we did the decibel test, what, a year and a half? And I was like, Mike, you can't use that to podcast. Yeah, you were like, Mike... <laughs> Go get your Mac and shut up <laughs> and just pretend like you're running Linux because yeah. we need the clicks. <laughs> it was right? no like, good. It's no good. Yeah. No good. <laughs> right. <laughs> like right now I'm an iMac Pro and you know what you're not hearing? The iMac Pro because it. I'm not even sure it has fans. I mean, I know it does, but yeah, yeah. I think they've come on twice. Having said that, you should totally buy a Thaleo. The new ones do not do what mine does because they, I guess they fixed it. I am elated to hear that you're coming over to the workstation master race. 
I think it is the superior performance choice. I would watch the term <laughs> master race these days. I'm just just saying. Yeah, but I'm I'm labeling you, not me. So it's fine. Oh, so I'm the Nazi. Great. <laughs> I am blonde hair and blue eyes, but let's just keep going. I need that as a soundboard clip. Just uh, pointing that out. No, Anyways. No, 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 <laughs> Veto no, no, on that hey, one, huh? Hey, yeah, no, there will be no I'm a Nazi on yet. No. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I actually... I was on Newegg, and I, for a for a lull, I was looking at the price of video cards. I don't know if you've gone down this rabbit hole, but it's comical. It's comical. Like a modern video card, if it's in stock, a, a great deal would be seven hundred dollars right now. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's so bad that Nvidia is coming up with this cockamamie scheme where they're going to have mining only cards, and then they're going to artificially limit the gaming cards. So that when they do mining workloads, they're cut in half via the driver. Wait, this is real? Yeah. That's such a dick move. <laughs> like using the software driver to limit the hardware, it, it really pushes my buttons. AMD is having trouble making theirs. There's a global chip shortage that's impacting everybody. So I was looking at it and I thought, this is just not the time to try to upgrade my workstation. But I, you know, that'll be my next thing by the end of the year is I'm going to try to refresh my desktop workstation into something that's pretty powerful. And I'm going to start with a high refresh rate monitor and work my way out from there, I decided. I guess I don't get it. Why are they discouraging people from buying their cards? They are having a hard time making enough to meet demand. The gamers aren't getting access to these cards. That has a knock-on stagnation effect for the rest of the gaming industry. But also, it means that Neither customer is satisfied, neither the miner who wants to mine some cryptocurrency, nor the gamer is satisfied. And you have a bunch of miners who, when they can, are buying up a whole bunch of, of these cards. Yeah, but their money's good too, right? I mean, I know. And here's the worst part, Mike, is these, these mining-only cards can't be used for gaming later on. So when the miners move on, they just go in the landfill. They're not going to go on like eBay. This seems like the dumbest way to solve this problem possible. I think NVIDIA realized that they're going to have a problem, that you'd have the used market come along and dump a whole bunch of cards in a year or two, uh, undercutting their market price. And so they decided to make this move, which is just, it's cold. You know, it's a, it's a cold move. And you know that, that that driver limitation is going to get bypassed in under a month. I was going to say, you know there's like 15 guys in Eastern Europe ready to, to get around that at any point. You know it. And you know they're sitting there in their coders. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, uh, go ahead, Chris. I'm, I'm muting. I'm muting because I, I know I'm not supposed to swear on the show anymore. Just do it. Well, you know, time is running out for the coder. That's right. The Coder Radio robe. It's almost, it's almost gone, folks. At the end of the month, 11.59 p.m., we're done. It's true. It's, you know what you could say? This is the final countdown for the coder. Final countdown! The final okay, the fact that you made this happen just drives me crazy. And the <laughs> fact that every single day on Twitter, yep. someone has to tell me, Hey, Mike, hope you're having a good day. Look what I just bought. I mean, at least you're getting a robe out of the deal. <laughs> I even bought one myself because I, I, I sincerely didn't believe that this would be successful. The only way is through, Mike. It's the only way out. I get it. This is the battle of the bulge. I just have to shoot and shoot and shoot and like fight. Right. And, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens because uh, I, I can't guarantee that the robe is gone forever. But I think this is the only one. I don't know. You know, so this is a special moment in Coda Radio history right now. If everybody who has tweeted at me 
has actually bought a robe, we should never stop selling robes. I'm just gonna say. I know, I know, you know, I know. Unless they're lying, but I don't think we've even. I don't think we've crossed the the 150 mark yet. I don't think so. That's you know, but we're. That's all it would really take to make this viable. Assuming we don't die in the international shipping. If the international shipping ends up being half the cost of the robe, I'm gonna have a problem. But we'll find out. <laughs> the coder dot shop, and then the next thing I'm going to tackle after this is figuring out how to do multiple sizes and colors for some other swag item. Can I recommend? Just this is just me trying to help the audience. For the same people in the audience, which I know there's only five of you left, <laughs> there is a poster, a Coder Radio 400 poster. Mine came today, actually. Oh, do you know if we did a video show? Do you know what my backdrop is? The last one. It's the 300 poster framed, the old one, with the green emacs logo yeah this one looks really sharp with the new logo uh really happy with it i'm gonna get it framed and i'm gonna put it up on the wall in the studio i'll have to do the same just out of pure jealousy but you know what i will always do now hmm. so you know i'm starting an only fans right i've been waiting <laughs> hey the fact that you laughed i mean you know what i'm saying <laughs> i'm waiting you know i've been thinking this is the way to go uh, i'm thinking you know we have uh the coderly report right yeah yeah how about an only fans where i dress in the coder robe and i code in whatever language the audience picks which <laughs> i can already see the php coming because many people have tweeted it at me because i tweeted this idea out so just to so i'm clear what, what we would be the product would be would be you a grown man in a robe complaining that people keep choosing php over and over again and then having people pay for that well they could it doesn't have to be php i mean if there are particular status in the audience they could be v basic i mean like <laughs> VB6. I mean, I don't know. Okay, I actually think now I think I'd pay for that myself, actually. Now I see what you're saying. I know for a fact Wes would get in there because he did this to me for free. Right. About a year ago. Yeah. I, I think this is something we should do. So please comment on the show if you would like to torture me. This could be a new platform for developers to raise money for their projects. Yeah, it's going to be me and a bunch of uh, uh, dancing girls, let's say, right? <laughs> and you know what I love about it is every, everyone's wearing a robe. <sighs> yes, I will wear the damn robe, okay? So go get it now, thecoder.shop. I will never forgive the audience for the robe. I'm just letting them know. <laughs> this really is, they, they're the ones that encouraged me, you know, with the emails. How did this, you know what, let's just move on. Okay, all right, all right. The robe is a, is a, is a thing for me. <laughs> the robe is, I'm very triggered by the robe. Let's just keep going. It's, it'll be a thing, but we're going to, we'll, we'll heal and we'll move forward. But I'm willing, of course, to make money off the robe. So. <laughs> uh. All right, well, it's a, it is a special time to mention that a Cloud Guru has a 20% off business plans promotion going right now. If you use the promo code SPRING INTO CLOUD21, you'll save for your whole team. You know the cloud's growing. In fact, 82% of companies have ramped up their investment in cloud computing as a response to the pandemic. So a Cloud Guru has a spring sale right now. It's the perfect time to plant the seeds for your digital transformation. Fast track into the cloud with the most effective and comprehensive cloud training platform out there. That's a cloudguru.com. You go over there and use the promo code spring into cloud 21. 96% of customers saw improved results within six months when they surveyed 400 users. Spring into cloud 21 at a cloudguru.com. We have some email. Should we do email? Maybe we should do email. That might be best. Is there any robe email? <laughs> I don't know, actually. Um, no, the first one's actually about keyboards. That's classic. That should make you feel better. All right, fine. Not John writes in, says, can we get an update on the Keychron mechanical keyboard that Chris ordered? They're on my short list of options. 
but I hear they're a bit tall and usually require a wrist rest. So I have the uh, Keychron right here. I've talked about it a little bit on the show. It's been a few weeks, though, so it's not a bad time to update. It's the uh, Keytron K3, and it's just this tiny little uh, 65% keyboard, and it's uh, USB-C or Bluetooth, and it has really low-profile keys. And they even sell a little baggie that I have linked in the show notes. This is a perfect, like, uh, portable keyboard to go in your bag. This would have, like, a no impact on my bag, weight or really size. It's lower profile than a normal keyboard, so you have to be comfortable with that. The lighting options are really cool and has a switch to move between Mac mode or Windows and Linux mode. And I'll link to an iMore review, which I pretty much agree right up and down with their entire review over there. I think it was uh, Christine Chan that wrote this. Essentially... Because of their low-profile keys, it's a little bit harder to swap out some of the keys on this than a typical mechanical keyboard. Mm. So that's a bit of a downside, but it's lightweight. It's compact as heck. It it, it does have hot-swappable keys if you need to. It has Bluetooth connectivity or USB-C, and it has a lot of nice backlighting options. It's gray for the keys with kind of a soft glow white that comes through the keycaps. It's really, I like that part a lot. And then the other thing I'm a big fan of is some of the other keys like tab and caps locks and shift and enter. They're a darker gray. They stand out more. It's a different color. And then the escape key is red. It comes with a different key, but I like it red and I have it lit up. So it looks like the escape key is like the abort key on a spaceship or something. It types real good. I mean, this is this is me kind of banging on it. Uh, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a great keyboard, but because it is so low profile, it's not quite as satisfying to type on as I would ultimately like. Um, if I was buying this to work with an iPad or another sort of ultra-portable machine, I'd be very happy with this. And because I'm using it here in the studio in a, in a kind of a tight space, it works tremendously well. But if I was going to get a Keychron for myself at home today, I actually be a little bit boring, and I'd probably go with the K6, which is about a similar size, doesn't look quite as modern, but has um, a more traditional depth and size of a keyboard. It's not quite as thin. That's the Keychron K6 wireless mechanical keyboard. That'd be the, probably the route I'd go instead of this one. I don't know if I'd buy this one again, but that's just for my use case. If I was throwing this in a bag, absolutely, this would be the one I'd get again. And I really like it. It's been a nice improvement from what's in here. So I will link to both of those, the K6 and the K3 in the show notes. The K3 is sold out right now. Mm. Um Keychron, man, they have travel pouches. They have wood wrist rests. I don't feel like this needs a wrist rest. In fact, if anything, I'd say this is lower down to the to the desk than most keyboards are. So I, I like it a lot. You're super fancy. I still like my WASD code keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, we actually have had people write in, too, with, with good comments about that. Yeah, I like the little one, but it's not as little as your, your mini, but or ultra slim, rather. And it lights up really cool. I really like the way it lights up. Anti-hacker Mike wrote in, and he he has been in a situation, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. He says, hey, guys, love the show as usual. Uh, I can't – oh, here, this is great. He says, I cannot wait to be listening to it comfortably in the coder. There, there it is. Good job. Mike, what are you doing? <laughs> he worked it in. He worked it in. We've talked about security a few times here on the show, but he wanted to get our views on a controversial practice that he has seen on the rise. He says he's referring to the idea – of bug bounties, but not bug bounties like you know it, where a company basically invites people to hack them and then pays the hacker for what they find, which is common. You know, Apple and Google and Microsoft and lots of companies, there's bug bounty that do that. It seems, anti-hacker Mike writes, 
that it's becoming an entire career for people where they essentially bang on stuff and then they come emailing. He says, this all seems well and good until it happened to my web service. <laughs> yeah. A hacker was able to find a small hole in, secu- in our security and then was able to exploit it. He emailed us with screenshots asking to be paid for finding this bug. While it sounded like a question, it didn't really feel like a choice. It felt more like blackmail. Extortion is the word you're looking for, but yeah. Yeah, he says, he goes on to say, we did end up agreeing to hire him to test the whole site and then report his findings. He did, and then we fixed those issues. But then, a couple of months later, he came back saying he'd found more things and that we'd have to pay him again to see them. I can't help but see this as anything other than a hustle. We haven't agreed to anything yet, so I'm not sure what will happen next, but what are your views on this type of practice? On one hand, it is a service, but on the other hand, it feels forced and not morally right. What are your thoughts? Gather around, children, <laughs> and let Uncle Mike tell you about New Jersey for a few minutes. Here. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I understand. Uh, I think last week we had a nice conversation about Texas. Yep. Well, it's time to talk about Jersey. <laughs> tell us a little bit, Mike. I want to make sure we have our glossary of terms. <laughs> okay. Extortion. Uh-huh. Give me money or I will do something bad to you. Blackmail. Give me money or I will share information damaging to you. Mm. Protection racket. Give me money or I will hurt you. Right. Usually it's phrased as, hey, that's a nice website you got there. Be a shame if all the user data got leaked. Right. Now, I am a pretty mild-mannered guy, which, I mean, Chris has hundreds of hours of evidence to the contrary, but, you know, we just got to let that go. The first thing you learn when you're in preschool in New Jersey is if somebody shoves you on the playground, even if they're right, you punch them in the face. No matter what. You never admit fault. Chris knows this from dealing with me. You're sorry only transactionally, right? You're never really sorry. Because your mistake in, in this case, uh, what's the listener's name again? Uh, Anti-hacker Mike. All right, I'm calling you Vinny. <laughs> Vinny, your mistake is you paid this jerk. And jerk is the modified... You know, we need to do a New Jersey feed of the show where I can say what I really think. Right. This guy's never going to leave you alone until you get even. Now, I'm not telling you to break any laws because we don't do that on Jupiter Broadcasting. We do that on Telegram in encrypted chats. I'm telling you, you got taken for a sucker. He came to you. You paid him, which was not smart. Now he's coming back for more money. This is this is mafia tactics right here. This is the same bullshit people try to pull all the time. Do you know how many... Okay, let's go back to Classic Coder. I got sued for Code Journal when it hit the top of the App Store. Like, I think it was literally like eight times. One of the lawsuits, my favorite one, was because I had syntax highlighting. Remember when that came after podcasts for like playlists? Yeah, what what was it? Um, I I also got hit with the in-app purchase one. What the hell? What was the name of that company? Wow, that was forever ago. I remember that. What the hell was it? I don't remember now, but whatever, like... These are like gangster tactics, and the mistake you made, Mike, uh, I won't call you Vinny because that was kind of mean, is you gave in. Yes, you may have legitimate issues, but this person, the way you have at least described him or her, is not behaving like a security professional. They're behaving like, honestly, like a, like a, like a damn gangster. Like they're, beha- they're extorting you. Yeah. 
And the minute you lay down to extortion, you're done. I, and I've made the mistake. I have settled lawsuits for bullshit patent stuff that I didn't need to settle. And you know what? If I could go back in time 10 years, I would tell younger Mike, you know, F him. Don't pay a thing. Fight, fight, fight. Because let me tell you, all these jerks are paper tigers. And what are they going to do? They're going to write a mean tweet. They're going to write a mean blog post about you. Who cares? People can say whatever they want about you. This is straight extortion. Don't give into it. And if the guy doesn't leave you alone, honestly, call the FBI and tell him you're doing it. Because this is a crime. I know some people in the infosec world will say I'm being too harsh, but this is bullshit. Yeah, I think you could get him for breaking and entering at this point. You could get him for for felon, uh, abuse. What is it? The nineteen eighty. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What the hell? You you know the law better than I do. The uh, the telecom. No, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Right. That. You, he did not have consent. So there are real security professionals have get consent to do penetration testing. That's exactly right. This is bull. You're being extorted. Even if he's right, you don't lay down to this. Yeah, you could. You definitely should be talking to a lawyer. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I would be talking to a lawyer and the district attorney at, at this point. I, I, this is nonsense. You don't have to put up with this. And then at the same time, you could engage with a legitimate firm to start, you know, helping protect and investigate. So that way, if he does leak something, but a legitimate firm would not do this without your consent, right? Absolutely. You're being attacked. I have been the sales engineer in those calls and we you get stuff signed. You get stuff signed off before you begin any of this for legal reasons. And uh, I have been on that end of the transaction. And by the way, I've been the customer for this stuff. One of the things that is in the contract from the security firm, non-disclosure. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the security engineer who finds a flaw in your system, you know, trademark New Jersey, has to keep their damn mouth shut. They can never say anything. Once you sign on the dotted line, you you know you agree to the terms, and in there is going to be a non-disclosure. It's absolutely part of the standard practice, and that's why I say you could engage with a firm now and have them start proactively working on this, so that way what this guy knows is an outdated set of information while you pursue legal options here. I mean, it's a hell of a situation because, first of all, it angers me because it delegitimizes an area of IT that I think is critically important and something I used to act, I used to, I used to do work in, and you know, I, I took it really seriously. And so that makes me angry. But additionally, on top of that, like you could see how people could just stay home, do nothing, and just poke at WordPress websites and then extort small businesses for money all day long. I am going to say one thing, though. Like the madbotter.com is a old WordPress website that has nothing of value on it. So, <laughs> well, absolutely. But, you know, you go into like some mom and pop hair salon or some shop that has. Well, and they've got their customer info in WordPress. Like, that's a mistake. And I think you could scare people enough. People don't understand that a compromised website on their GoDaddy Colo doesn't mean that their credit card uh, point of sales app at their local land has been compromised. They don't get the difference there. They, if you come in and say, I've owned your website and I've defaced it. And now I have access to your customer records. They would believe you. Well, that's why the extro- I mean, I, I know I'm on pretty aggressive ground here, but I I consider this stuff extortion, especially when it's small businesses. I've never gotten the pen test thing because, I mean, I, this is maybe too inside baseball for me, but we're required to do audits and I have to hire them anyway. And it, the prof- Put it this way, the professionals, when they find something, don't threaten you with it, right? And they actually fix it for you most of the time. Yeah, that's how you know this guy's not legit. This guy's not legit. He, you're being taken for a ride. This is like, I don't know, I mean, 
go watch the movie The Untouchables. This is the guy who goes to the bar during Prohibition that's, quote, selling soda. (laughs) And then when the guy won't buy his illegal beer from Canada, puts a bomb under it and kills the little girl. That's a that's a deep Sean Connery reference. Sean Connery. Oh, let's can we pour one out for the only true James Bond? But yeah, uh, seriously, Mike, do not lay down to this. Yeah. And that, that is the most New Jersey way I can put this right now. <laughs> and I don't care what he says. Let him say let him say what he's going to say. This is you. You are the victim of extortion and it's time to not be a victim. You got to fight back. It's no different than if you give in to ransomware, it just enables them as well. It's a Exactly. Exactly. It's a bad racket. Oh, you got me all fired up. All right. Well, Timer Mike writes in. Different Mike. My brothers. <laughs> yeah. They're all coming together today. He, when he was listening to the last episode, I mentioned that I was still having an ongoing battle with RSI. And he realized that he has adopted techniques in general to sort of mitigate and manage this. And he also picked up on you mentioning that you use a Pomodoro timer app when you're on Gnome Shell. He said, I'm not really sure when I came across the technique, but it's become a regular part of my development process for the last 10 years. I imagine Mike can have a detailed definition of the process for Pomodoro, but for me, this is how I use it. I try to distill my tasks into simple sentences that can be definitively marked as done when they are in fact done. So like an example would be account record update when Cognito user is updated. End sentence. Tasks should just be completable in 30 minutes to an hour. And no more than two hours long. I try to keep to this, but I often lean towards the two to three hour side of things. And work time comprises of 25 minute focused, distraction free efforts, followed by five minutes of something entirely different. This is where I've been able to improve my RSI health significantly. Giving my hands and body a five minute break from behind the computer seems to make all of the difference in the world. When I'm under time pressure, I'll sometimes abandon my break and keep cranking. When I do this for long, I inevitably find that my hands and forearms become sore. Over the last year, I started creating a to-do today sheet where I list out my distilled tasks along with the day's date. I use the leftover space as a doodle pad for ideas and notes. And at the end of the day, or often at the start of the next, I make a journal entry on the back of the sheet summarizing my thoughts on the work that was done and what needs attention next. I now have a year's worth of these sheets, and I fill that with a three-ring binder. I doubt I will ever go through and read every one of those sheets, but when you work with intangible goods like software, it's nice to see a stack of something accomplished in the real world. I've tried various software timers over the years, and they've all had something that made them difficult to stick with. When I start blaming those timers for not allowing the technique to work, I decided just to toss them and go old-school kitchen timer from Amazon. It's not great, but it doesn't crash, nor does it stop ticking when my OS crashes and I need to reboot. I think there might be a JB swag opportunity for the, quote, coder countdown. Put me down for three. God damn, no. <laughs> Congrats on 400 shows. What do you think of that? A coder countdown. It's, you know, I think that's something right there. He ought to call himself Merch Mike because uh, I think he's onto something. This is interesting. I have been experimenting with a daily brain dump at the end of every workday of what I think my to-dos are for the next day. And I've actually found what works best is just a text document on my computer that I just leave running, that I just re- leave up on my screen. So the next day I come in, it's right there. Get out of town. Dude. We do the same thing. I have just like a little text document that I pop open in Venmo on my desktop and that's it. I have from time to time done the physical, write it down on a piece of paper. And I I do like that. And then I would cross off something when I got it done. And I like that crossing off thing. 
there is something to when you work on an intangible good to have a tangible good that represents some accomplished work does feel good because there are every now and then there's days that I have. There are always off air days where I feel like I lost an entire day to Slack and Telegram and email. And I, I, I feel gross at the end of the day. Like, what have I done with my day? Like every day, all my time is so precious. I have so little time to do, get this stuff done. And then I spend an entire day replying to people and I have nothing to show for it at all. And so that's where having it, I can look back at a to-do list and go, oh, no, that's right. I, I did fix that issue we were having in the studio, and I, I did get so-and-so contacted about this. And, you know, I can look at the list of things I actually accomplished. And then I, while I'm thinking about it, okay, but I still need to get all this done. That's when I do the brain dump for the next day, Doc. I, I, could, I could definitely see extending this, though, and taking some of these breaks that Mike's talking about here, doing like a focused 25-minute session and then taking a break. I, I do need to play around with that a little bit, I think. Pomodoro will change your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I've been doing it for years now. Little, little bit of an error here, Mike. I no longer use the GNOME Pomodoro app because it, GNOME extensions are fundamentally broken because GNOME extensions are poorly engineered. Hey, guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> I keep doing that, and I'm sure Eric's pissed off. I, I do it on my iPhone because mm. I actually once sold a Pomodoro app, and I still have an old copy of it that I have made run and do not currently sell. And it works much better than GNOME extensions. Uh, Chris, did I miss anything I wanted to insult today? I don't think so. I mean, you could. I mean, we could throw shade at at Chrome or Android. We haven't done that in a while. No, you know what? We don't throw shade at Android because Google. No, I feel like Fuchsia is going to do it for us. <laughs> I feel like Chrome OS overtaking Mac OS, like just like dunked mercilessly on Android. Oh right. Like, I mean, somehow Google is its own worst enemy, in, like the weirdest way. Yeah, that Chrome OS becoming the second largest OS is kind of remarkable. Audience, this is how it happens when my kid's not here and we no longer have structure to the show. <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, all right. With the audience or with me? You personally. Oh, okay. All right, good. Okay. All of the audience, the robe thing, guys, if he makes a timer, we might take another couple month hiatus here because I, <laughs> I don't know if I can take it. Like, you guys got to stop. Martini glasses, sure. Coffee cups, yes. I've noticed certain Linux commentators... I'm not going to name names, Chris, Chris, Chris. Counting Chrome OS as desktop Linux. Is that what I heard? What I thought I heard? Hmm. I, I may have in some context. I kind of waffle on that. You're a little uh, pussyfooted on that, I could say. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you consider? It's Gen 2 under the hood. Is it Gen 2? I mean, I know you can run devs. I mean, ah. Yeah, and you can run some Linux desktop apps as well now. GUI ones. I know, but... It feels like when people used to claim Android installs as Linux installs. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. like it. I, uh, Here's the problem. Here's the thing, Mike. It's like, what what slice of Linux are we talking about? Are we talking about, like, desktop Linux? Because then, yeah, I don't think it's actually fair to count Chrome OS at all, actually. Oh, we're talking desktop Linux here, right? Servers, Linux wins, right? IoT, Linux wins. I sell everything on servers and IoT, it's Linux. Fine. I'm with you. But I can't change my wallpaper background every 30 minutes. And that <laughs> feels like a problem. Oh, man. You know, it's, I've been, I, I feel like Chrome OS is, it's closer to a Linux machine than Mac OS is to a Unix workstation. 
What do you got a vape pen there? I think you're nuts. (laughs) Are you joking? No, no, because you can get a Linux command line. You can run Linux GUI applications. It itself is based on Linux and it runs a Linux kernel. Hang on. You said Unix, not Linux. Right. Yeah. Because like Mac OS, while it has it has a BSD user land, it has its own wackadoodle kernel. It doesn't have the entire BSD user land. Oh. It has it has its own init manager, whereas everything on the Chrome OS side, it's Linux kernel. It's an open source init manager. It's got the Linux user land and it runs Linux desktop applications. And they're even converting the sucker to a Wayland based uh, display system so it's like yes because wayland was always a good idea my point is it's a lot of the linux stack there where the mac is their own proprietary ui a good portion of the bsd user land and their own kernel hey hey, whoa whoa wait wait let's take a breath (laughs) okay First of all, the mock kernel is amazing. Darwin is amazing. <laughs> You're fundamentally wrong in every possible way here. All right, okay. Yes, the Mac user land is a little um, schizophrenic. It sometimes thinks it's an iPad and doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> like, for instance, I was texting a person, and it decided that it forgot who she was at some point in iMessage oh. and sent me the same notification 10 times on my phone because I sent it from my iMac. Sure. But still, I would say Mac is more BSD than Chrome is Linux or Chrome OS is Linux, I should say. <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Have you seen BSD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, we know people who run BSD and they pretty much run Windows 7 is my understanding. Or you would be correct. Now. You would be correct. I would be correct. I know yeah. I'm correct. <laughs> so... I don't know. I mean, I think we should all run Pop OS and Carl. I don't know why I'm in love with Carl today. Carl, all I want to do is change my background every 30 minutes and not have my OS crash. He's got your back, you know, because he really doesn't. This one issue. His team's making their stuff in Rust and TypeScript. So you should be happy hunky dory there. I was with you on Rust and I'm judging them harshly on TypeScript. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought I thought it was a I thought it showed a uh, progressive move on their part. I think, and I don't mean this to be flamey, and I know some people will read into it and it'll be controversial, I think the GNOME team should just apologize for extensions, RM, TACR, the entire repo, and start over with KDE. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean it to be controversial. No, of course not. No, not, no, obviously not. Again, Noble Pain on Twitter is where you want to send your feedback. Right. Or Alan at JupiterBroadcasting.com. Alan never replies. Alan's no fun. It's because he's smart. He knows. He's on Windows 7. He doesn't even, he can't even get the messages. <laughs> Linode.com slash coder. <laughs> Go there to support the show and get a $100 60-day credit. Now, I got to check this. Mike, are you slipping $100, $100 into this? That doesn't seem real. How can they afford to do that? I thought it was just a champagne room. I'm sorry. No, it's true, though. $100 in, uh, in account credits for 60 days when you create a new account at Linode.com slash coder. I spin everything up on Linode now, like everything. If it's a game server for my kids or if it's the backend infrastructure for a community chat system, I spin it up on Linode. One of the things that we run right now is a piece of software that has replaced Google Docs for me completely. It's coming along. It's had a few name changes, but I really like where they're going with it. It's called HedgeDoc. It's a self-hostable, real-time collaborative text editing markdown editor. It's like everything I needed in Google Docs, but it specializes in Markdown, and you can host it yourself. 
that's something that we put up on Linode. So our team has a URL they go to, and that's where our Hedgedoc instance is. And it works great for that. When we're done with this, we're going to upload these files to a system running on Linode that our editor, Drew, will download it from. And when he's done, he'll submit it back up to a Linode system that will encode it and then publish it out to the web. We do all of that on Linode. So if you're if you're brand new and you just want to get started, Linode has great plans that are totally accessible price-wise and UI-wise. You can get started right away. Or if you really know what you're doing and you can mix and match different technologies like their object storage and their cloud firewall and, of course, their GPU or dedicated CPU systems, you can really build an infrastructure that's just unmatchable to anything you could have done years ago. Linode has been around since 2003. So they have followed this market very closely. Like they, they were in this, I think, before we were calling this cloud computing, right? They started before AWS. They started before Google or any of the enterprise cloud providers got into this. Because of that, they've been able to really focus on a few things and do them extremely well. And they're 30 to 50% less in cost than the other enterprise cloud providers while still having incredibly great network connections because they've been in this. They can network. They've been in this for a long time. They know how to serve this up for an end user, and make it super accessible. They know how to check all of those boxes and do it really well. And they're my server provider of choice because of that and a lot of other reasons. But I encourage you to just go check it out. There's only so much I can really tell you in the show. For the rest, you just got to take a little time and try it. And that's why they're making this $100 offer right now. Go to linode.com slash coder. Go over there, sign up, support the show. And just try some of it out and see what I've been talking about. See what you can do. You can deploy it for infrastructure that's client-facing or for back-end stuff for yourself or your community. And they have 11 data centers to choose from. So you can find something that's close to whoever's going to be using the system. Try it out at linode.com slash coder. I just want you to know the monsters that listen to this show live have been tweeting me purchasing coder robes. <laughs> you know what, Robros? I appreciate you out there. I need you this week, Robros! I hate every single one of you with a passion that only equals the memory leakage of Swift versus Objective-C. I completely made that up, but most of you don't write Swift, and I could have totally passed that off as a fact. Robros includes ladies and also children. Robros also includes dogs. <laughs> That'd be amazing. So um, maybe before we get out of here, maybe we should impart people with some wisdom. You found a really good article about starting a niche, finding your niche, and starting in that. And we will link to this in the show notes. It's, uh, it's wow, this is the week of Mike's. It's also written by a guy named Michael. So many of us, we are leeching. This is getting weird, man. This is the like the third or fourth. The Mike-ception. That's wild. But anyways, uh, he starts with, the most popular products don't become mass or popular overnight. It's a process. Usually their popularity is uneven. And they're known in some niches, but not very popular in other niches. And when you start a product, sometimes you know that niche already, and you can easily define and target that customer. But in many cases, you just don't know, and you try to find the niche and the miraculous niche market fit that will work for your product. One of the most common mistakes is to ignore niches and just try to attract all kinds of customers going just for that general customer. But I tell you, it's essential to find one or two pawns to start from, and then expand to the other larger, more promising lakes and oceans later. And then what Michael does is he goes through here and lays out some classic technologies that started as strange niche products, but now are huge. The telegraph, the telephone, the photograph, the car, the radio. The radio was immediately adopted by the British Royal Navy 
They thought the radio could speed up communication between ships, and they were right. But really, it took a lot longer until others adopted the radio. So radio was introduced in 1895. In 1912, the Titanic sent a distress signal, but the radios were turned off on the closest ships because they just simply weren't using them back then. Well, they didn't have the Windows Vista patch. Yeah, yeah, which meant you had to reboot or else your uh, router and radio service were down. Yeah. With apologies to Paul Thorat. Uh Visicalc, also, uh, you know, Excel's predecessor that launched in 1979, classic, first adopted by accountants. Businessmen and analysts joined the party much later on. Accountants saw the value right away in Visicalc, but the others in the business stack took a lot longer before they realized what 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 spreadsheets would be used for now. Now entire companies run off of Excel. And I thought this just, it really was a really wise article that you found. I set it aside to read it and I read the whole thing. And he really makes the case for how you have to find a niche. You have to focus on it. Uh, He says, how do you find that niche? You can use Conway's law, which you can look that up. Uh, He says, it's only a partially a joke. You review a couple of the alternatives. You look at what you know best. You select that. And then you execute as best as you can. In a way, startups are kind of like an experimentation facility that hypothesizes, executes, and then measures their results. And the startups that are successful are the ones that find the right niche. I mean, I have the sense just from doing this for, has it been 400 years yet? I mean, are we older than the country? Right. Uh, no, actually, if, if you check, if you look at the map this week, it's 402 years. True. And I believe that the title should be payment required because I know my HTTP error codes. And by the way, people are going to look at that and they're going to go, what? No, they're going to look at it. <laughs> And they're going to buy a poster. <laughs> Do you understand what I said? And more importantly, what I did not say. No, but seriously, buy a robe. It'd be a shame for something to happen. You should buy a robe just to be careful. Let me explain something to you. The Thaleo has been a flight simulator for a long time. I have been working on drones for a long time. There may or may not be some sort of interference with the robes <laughs> uh, where there are chips in them. <laughs> and then one day you're all going to get painted with... The worst possible thing I could think of. Swift stickers. I have to say, a supply chain attack on the robes would be the ultimate long troll. That would be pretty good. You know what? The problem is you have weirdly aligned my incentives with yours, even though (laughs) I don't think it's a secret that the robes, I thought you were joking, and I'm really surprised that there are actually robes. I say this every week because I'm not over it. (laughs) Like, I got to be honest. I What were you smoking? Inspiration. You know, the creative inspiration. You did give us a hint at your niche there a little bit, you know. I did. How long did, I mean, that, that going back to that point, uh-huh. that wasn't just an obvious for, I mean, it seems like it took you multiple years of getting screwed at different things before you kind of landed on that niche for a while. Aviation niche? Yeah. So this is the thing where longtime listeners are going to be like, I heard it before. In the beginning, Chris, in the beginning, <laughs> there was darkness. 400 years ago. And then, you know, a guy named, oh my God, I can't remember the guy's name who created Java, and I feel like a jerk. Gosling? Gosling, right? Oh! I'm right, Gosling. I wrote Java applets because I needed money. (laughs) That's a good reason to do anything. And then the iPhone came out, and I had a Dutch uncle who helped me, because I was still young enough to need help, uh, and bought me a very cheap MacBook. I'm not denigrated, but he, he, he hates Apple. He still hates Apple to this day. Got like the base model. He got like the MacBook, right? <laughs> it was like whatever. 
and this is we're going back a long time so whatever it's not even like comparable to it like my macbook air could like buy and sell this macbook 400 times without using like one core right are we like talking like early like the first intel kind of thing i think we might be second or third no i think it's second those early airs were they were a special kind of slow Yeah, yeah yeah it was i had a dell that i was running ubuntu on at the time and it was bad like until snow leopard came out it was bad. <laughs> I mean, it was just not a good mission. I cannot believe you just got a, sl- a snow leopard mention in. I <laughs> just can't believe you. Till the day I die. Never gonna let or it go. you sell the company again, whichever, you know, either way. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to be about the same. So the same. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever. Yeah. So yeah, I came up in the, uh, the iPhone app gold rush. I did the code journal thing later on the Mac app store. That was kind of how I got this guy with the good hair's attention. And then how long, how long did I ride the iPhone ride for? Because you were around for that. I mean, for as long as you possibly could. I, I went down hard, though. I messed up. I, I held on too long. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I mean, have you ever fully let go? Let's be honest. When Swift came out, I, I think, I mean, I think you have it on tape. I'm pretty sure I let go. Yep, that's for sure. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. I was pretty upset. Then there was the, the price bottom dropped out of the market. When so That's the thing that is a little bit distant now is it wasn't the norm for an app to be $1.99 or to use a subscription. Well, right. When I, when I started, right, it was totally reasonable. Like, CodeJournal was originally, like, 10 bucks, and then I put it to 5 But, like, that was cheap, and I did it on purpose because I was trying to get, like, attention, right? Like, I was trying to, for my consulting business. Mm-hmm. But, like, people were selling iPhone apps. I mean, I think most of our listeners will not believe this, but people were selling iPhone apps for, like, 20 bucks. Yeah. Like, it was just, like, it was a real, it was a thing. Remember, there was no in-app purchase. There was no iAds. There was no, like, it was a piece of software. And and then that changed. If you really want to know, you can listen to all my moaning and complaining on the back catalog. Because I, I, yeah, right. I went through that, like, oh, I, I lost 40 grand on Windows 8. Yeah, oh, yeah, Windows 8. Yeah. I admire your restraint in not mentioning that. Well, you know, I got a, I got a jab at you in episode 400, so I thought I just good for a little while. <laughs> and then I tried to do all the cross-platform stuff to lower consulting prices. Did you discover the current, did there, or not current, but the, because, the, you know, there was some bot time in there, and then you really did focus in on aerospace for a while. Did you land on that niche by networking at events? Kind of. Ah. So this is where, where I have to love up uh, brother Chris here. So the first aerospace client came from you right from the show it's one of your linux hippies who doesn't really run linux they bought a thalio and put windows on it so sorry carl carl it's been a rough it's been been a rough night for you carl <laughs> i don't know what to say <laughs> sorry man i mean at the end of the day he's still selling the box so <laughs> yeah he still sell, sold a threadripper unit for a amount of money that i could have bought a car for so you know whatever and then yeah then it was events that they recommended and it turned out and it took me a long time to figure this out, like longer than it should have. Because you're right. I was in love with the whole consumer-facing software idea that this niche is people are willing to pay for stuff and like not fight you about a you know $4,000 bill. They just pay. Yeah, they're, they're willing to pay consulting fees that actually pay your bills. Right. And like you have to travel. Now, COVID, COVID is, I can't say it's messed things up because we're still up year over year, but it's... I am very good at podcasting. No comment necessary, Chris, because I, I know I'm terrible. I am very good at trade shows. 
I'm very bad at phone sales and Zoom calls. And email. Which you would think I would be able to do Zoom calls because it's just like podcasting. But I had a Zoom call, and I know I know he listens, but another listener of the show who's also a fellow podcaster who I won't name because I don't have permission, wants to hire us for a job. And I find something disorienting about Zoom. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I'm confused. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. But on a podcast or in person, I'm totally cool, right? Like, I'm, I'm fine. I got it. Not a problem. I have a similar phenomenon that I experience. Really? And I, I don't know exactly what it is. I find Zoom calls to be kind of exhausting, not to sound like a wimp, but... Yes, no, I'm, I need coffee afterwards. I'm, like, tired. Yeah, I got to caffeinate before and I got to caffeinate afterwards. Uh, where here, I have literally been live for two hours and 26 minutes and I feel great. <laughs> I've been on the live stream for two hours and 30 minutes and I'm totally fine right now. Yeah. I don't know why it's a different, it's a different muscle and it totally is exhausting. And I, I, I have a couple of times even, I will admit to convincing the participant to let me call them instead. And I do a little bit, well, I do a lot better. I feel like over the phone even than I do on a Zoom call because I get up and I walk around and I put like, you know, earphones on, wireless ear, uh, ear pods, and I walk around and I, I gestate like a moron and I, and I, or wouldn't gestate, is that the right term? I don't think so. Gesture. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I thought you were pregnant for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I gestate ideas like a moron. I gestate ideas like a moron. Uh, but I gesture around and I walk and I pace. That's exactly what I do. I pace on speakerphone. Yeah. Yes. And when that's taken away from me, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not as effective. I was, the reason why I asked is I was having uh, a quasi meeting this morning and we were going through like sources and material and we were looking at it and like, we have, we have a lot of great people that we know in the community over the years. And I'm, so I'm not taking away from that, but we haven't really added to the list this year. Like our little black book of people we can we can email up and say, hey, tell me the inside scoop on this, hasn't really expanded. And that's the first time ever that we haven't added people to that list. We just had like a guy from NASA on, on like Saturday. Yeah, that was great. I know that's the, I was going to say that's the exception. I was going to say, like, come on, man. <laughs> Did <laughs> what I, are you talking about? That that So that was a nice feather in the cap for sure. But uh, the networking has just dropped off, like in terms of what it typically would be, you know. What I, where I was getting at is if you look at um, like Alex on self-hosted, he came on board because I met him at uh, Linux Fest in Texas and we started discussing like our shared interest on stuff and realized we had a bit of a chemistry and, uh, you know, hit it off. And then he became, you know, he became one of my co-hosts um, and I just haven't had that for a while. I don't mean to bring it back to that again, but I just was wondering if that was pretty influential in how you got to where you're at right now or where you had been. I don't know if you're still focusing much on aerospace. Is that still the case? Uh, well, I mean, might as well open the kimono all the way, I guess. Ooh. Hello, sir. You mean the robe? Open the robe all the way? I am aware that I'm getting money off these robes, but at some point, dignity matters more. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I know. I know. I know. Don't worry. We'll do a mug soon. Although I I have to tell you, the odds of me not loving this robe and wearing it all the time are zero. Because, you know, I am going to love this robe, right? I'm going to be like... There will be some tweets of me in the robe with nothing else that will probably get me banned for a couple days from Twitter, right? Like, that's <laughs> going to get you canceled. <laughs> gonna get. Ah, oh, listen, my ex-wife would love to cancel me. <laughs> it's, I, I already, there's already a bunch of them. So. Ooh. Got the bell. The bell, bell and Carl are getting a lot of work today, you know? 
It's a good. It's, that's how you know it's a good episode. Hey, Carl, where's my keyboard? Right? He's not going to talk to me anymore after this. We should work out a deal. I'm saying because I think we could sell some keyboards. You know, there's no, it's no robe, but he's going to pack in a robe, Carl. Don't do it. He, yeah, bundle. Right there, you go. What would you do if System Seventy Six stole your robe idea and just like threw their little robot uh, Zoe? Right? That's Zoe. It's their robot. The character that they developed for the Thalia. They should do that. No, honestly, the world needs more robes. They should do it. They should fork the idea. No, the world needs more COVID vaccines, green energy. <laughs> yeah, but like number four on that list, right? It's robes, right? I mean, I can keep you on for another five hours telling you things <laughs> it needs before robes if that's what you want to do. And I don't even remember the question you asked me. Hold on, because you were getting to the Komodo about... So I asked you if you're still focusing on the aerospace or... Yes, but we accidentally, because that's how things happen, fell into food production because of COVID. Hmm. So it turns out... We had a person reach out to us uh, doing food production over in Canada, and it turns out that they reached out before, like, COVID was a thing, right? But I also live in the state of Florida. For those who don't know, Florida is famous for alligators, Florida Man, and Disney World, but also, like, a tremendous amount of agriculture, like a shocking amount of agriculture. But COVID, when you have a bunch of workers living in basically barracks— uh, that's a problem, right? Because one guy or girl gets, or one guy or gal gets COVID, and potentially fifty of them have it, and your entire farm is uh, screwed. Mm, of course, if you can embed, uh, god damn it, Python. Sure, Ruby is better. If you can embed Python into, uh, let's say, IoT devices, and you can run a Python Flask big web service. And you can have like smart.net based UWP tablet apps for the four. I'm going to use the word foreman, but all these different companies have different names, but like supervisors. Yeah. Turns out you can basically minimize your manual labor, therefore your risk of COVID exposure while keeping your crop yield up. And I don't want to get too much into agriculture. One, I've had to learn a lot about it in the last year, but it's one of those things that you know, Chris, I'm sure you go to the grocery store, you buy some lettuce, you buy some strawberries, you know. Raspberries. Raspberries, okay. Well, we're, we're based in Plant City, so strawberries are the main crop. But mm. uh, we actually have the Strawberry Festival, believe it or not. You, you don't think anything of it, right? But there's actually hundreds of people working on that farm. Right. Our whole shtick now is we're minimizing that work. So basically, on the aviation side, we're killing people. On the other side, we're feeding people. So I don't know where that leaves me. I mean, I got to tell you, when, when, when I die, St. Peter is going to be like, I don't know, man. We got a lot of stuff here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so you can point, you know, you can say, oh, I answered some questions on a podcast. That might that might have been some good. It's like I told the truth. He's like, yeah, you, you weren't supposed to do that either, though. So I don't know. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your entire stack. If you have on-premises, if you have cloud, if you have a hybrid, something in between, maybe multiple clouds, get a unified view into all of it. Quickly analyze the performance of your Linux servers in real time and get dashboards that you can move around and build to get the information that you need. If you're creating an application or if you're trying to monitor something in production, wouldn't it be nice to have analytics that are easy to understand and share with your team so that way you can communicate your needs to them? That's what Datadog does for you, and they help you troubleshoot issues in seconds. With these unified metrics and traces and logs, 
You can look at all of the environment in one snapshot. Look inside a container, look at the Linux server, and look at the application performance as well. And then additionally, they have over 400 integrations, just turnkey integrations to get Datadog insights into your application. You combine that with the server metrics, your performance, and you get it all into a customizable dashboard. And you can take actual action on what you see. But you got to get started. So go to datadog.com slash radio. If you set up one dashboard, you now qualify for some free swag, a Datadog t-shirt. But you got to go to datadog.com slash radio. This is a tool to allow you to communicate. I say that because that's how Datadog started. As a way for the developers to communicate to the sysadmins. That's such a quintessential problem, communication. And to have a tool, analytics and data base that you can, you can use to communicate with your teams, that's worth its weight in gold. So go, just get started. Just see what it can do. Go to datadog.com slash radio. All right, Mr. Dominic, one last thing for you before we go. You mentioned this at the top of the show. Does the release of .NET 6, which is getting closer and closer, Preview 1 is out, I think, today as we record. So it'll be a few days by the time people hear this. Uh, it's out. It's close. This is it. This is like them bringing the last several six years or so of work together. So it's the the promise of taking a lot of the, what is it, uh, Xamarin, Xmarion, the, yeah, Xmarion, the Xmarion tools, bringing a lot of that and actually bringing it into .NET and creating something that's actually usable for desktop, web, cloud, mobile, gaming, IoT, Windows, Linux, Android, iOS, Mac, even Apple TVs on the list. I mean, this is it. It's here at least in preview, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of, I don't know, curious to get your take on .NET 6 and their new preview. So I'm trying to be a little careful here. I have not tried the preview yet. It's going to be, be a big like asterisk on this. You know, I have scars from the Java applet days, and I do worry that .NET is getting a little too cross-platformy. Mm-hmm. But I have I have no evidence of that. Like I have no reason to think that other than just It seems like they're promising the impossible. It seems like they're promising a lot and not showing much yet, right? So it's it's almost a premature I mean all right, one of my concerns, just to kind of put the cards on the table, is at some point does it become too fractured in a way, right? Where there is it's this big unified framework, but there's all these little asterisks on, oh, but are you on iOS? Oh, but are you on Android? Oh, but are you on Windows? Oh. And it's really a bunch of different tools that have kind of been relabeled and brought together as kind of like a crockpot of different stuff in .NET. It feels an awful lot like the old Java promises of right ones run everywhere. Yeah, only this time it's coming from Microsoft. Well, sure, but like, you know, anybody could promise you anything, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like... Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, I do agree. Uh, I, was, I was reading through their announcement uh, because it, yeah, like I said, it came out just as we're about when we're recording. And, you know, they go through all the standard stuff, but they say, our unification efforts offer something for all .NET developers. If you're a desktop app developer, there are new opportunities for you to reach new users. If you're a mobile app developer, you'll benefit from using mainline .NET tools and APIs while targeting iOS and Android platforms. If you're a web or cloud developer, it will be easier to expose services in .NET mobile and apps that share code with them. I mean, they're really pushing on that. And I think we've had a good sense that when .NET Core came out and they started working towards this, this was the ultimate – 
scenario uh, is taking these tools that they've invested in over the years and bringing them in there. I mean, even WebAssembly is in this mix. It's it's all encompassing. I, unlike you, I kind of have a little bit more of a positive take on it. It seems like Microsoft has taken really a, a decade to kind of sift through all of this and pull it all together. And then it, what's really happened now is .NET 6 is, is really kind of like it's like an umbrella of this stuff that you can do now. Uh, and so when you're, a, when you're a .NET developer, it's going to mean a whole bunch of other stuff all of a sudden. And then on top of that, they have the pipeline, right? They have they have the tools on the desktop. They have the tools in the cloud. They have GitHub. I think in a way, I am I am more bullish on what Microsoft is doing here than I have ever been on anything I have seen them do. And I can I can clearly see the hallmarks of how this benefits Azure. I can see how this benefits their GitHub platform. I can see how this makes more Microsoft developers. I can see how this sells more Windows licenses and Visual Studio licenses. Like check every box. All right, but, but what do they want? Like this is this is my whole problem with Microsoft right now. What the hell do they want? Are they trying to get you to use Windows? Are they trying to get you to pay for Visual Studio Pro? Are they trying to get you to This is a respin of an idea that I think I, I rolled out on the show a while ago. So it's been a couple of years, but I, I've, I've thought about this. And I, I, this isn't the right analogy, but I think this is the only way to state it where it'll click. It's like they, they want to recreate Windows, the, the magic of, the, of Windows, but they, they, like, they want to be Windows for developers. Like it's, they want to bring all of this stuff together and they don't care if you're targeting Android, have at it, Haas. If you want to make tvOS apps, have at it, but you're using... A Microsoft editor to do it. You're using a Microsoft developer platform to put a repo to store your code, and you're using .NET as the back end, and you're using you know the .NET SDK and tools. I just think it's Microsoft wins for for every Android device that uses this or every tvOS device, and they don't need you running Windows. But if you want to run Windows, it's going to be great. And that it's I think it's it's so clever. It's devious because. They're creating something that's useful. It's competitive in the market. It answers problems that developers have and corporations, especially enterprises, while also kind of ensuring that they stay relevant in the game, even when people are done with the desktop entirely. Like this, essentially, what I think this what this .NET umbrella does and combining it with Azure and GitHub and everything else, sorry, 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 but it's just going to have to be said over and over again for a little bit. When they're all done, they don't even need Windows. They don't even need Windows at all. Windows can just fade away and they're totally good because the world will be developing for IoT, for the web, for mobile, and for the desktop using their tools. And even if it isn't totally market dominant, they're probably over time going to be able to carve out a nice, sizable, long-term percentage, which will include a ton of businesses and enterprises, dark matter developers, and people on the front lines like yourself that are just building shops around this tool chain because it's all there. Every piece of the pipeline is there for you. You can build a shop around all of these tools. It's all there for you. And you can just start executing. I guess. I mean, I mean, I know months ago or, oh, my God, like over a year ago, we talked about it was all about that, that you know, sweet Azure mana rating from heaven. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> they got Omnom, not Azure mana. I'm numb. I guess. All right. I, I guess I'm with you. I just, I sort of feel like I want Windows to get better. And it, everything you've described is it's not really going to get better. It doesn't need it to. They don't need it to now. 
And uh, I think they, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that's it's it's deviously clever. I think I, I'm very impressed with the strategy because you just don't normally see it. So you don't normally see a company be able to shift like this in such a clever way. Usually, like it's just a large ship, and once it's set up and going in a direction, it goes in that direction forever. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's the whole thing is they don't care, which I, I mean. <sighs> We're going way over, but if you're a .NET developer today, should you be scared? I mean, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I mean, look at what they're trying to target. That's everything. They're, they're literally trying to, that's every platform that exists, web, from WebAssembly to IoT. Right. That's the thing. I, I, I kind of worry that, like, they're trying to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's just not going to work. That sounds like Microsoft to a T, though. <laughs> You know, and it will work well enough for for a large chunk of business, for a large chunk of the market. It will do the job and it will do the job well enough. The Surface tablets, we we do like sell development for them at TMB at the Bad Botter because they make sense. But the only reason they make sense is because Android tablets are hot garbage. Please send your emails to Alan at JupiterBroadcasting.com. And because Apple is just a pain in the ass about you know, enterprise distribution, right? Yeah. If Apple would just like not have that policy, I would much prefer develop for iPads. Have you heard of our friends over at Google with their Chrome OS? <laughs> Thank you for listening today. Uh, I'm at Dumanuku on Twitter. He's at Chris Lass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Also, thanks, thanks to our members. We should say, I don't, I don't know if we said it last week, but thank you to our members over at CoderQA.co. We appreciate our members. Thank you very much. Go get your coderlies. Yeah. Uh, at the Mad Botter Inks, the company. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, I have a book review coming up for uh, Jay LaCroix, friend of the show, and we uh, met him at uh, System, or I met him at System 76 a couple years ago, his Mastering Ubuntu server. So that should be up this week. Cool. On DominicM.com. Great guy, Linux podcaster, Linux YouTuber. So, and sounds like if somebody's if somebody's administering an Ubuntu server, a very useful resource. Uh, our links to the stuff we talked about today, you'll find that at coder.show/slash. 402. Surprisingly, there's a lot of great things over there at coder.show. You can find our RSS feeds for all the different ways to subscribe. You can get our contact form if you'd like to send us in some feedback. That's a huge part of our show, and we really appreciate that. And of course, links to previous episodes all over at coder.show, including this one. I'd encourage you to hang out live if you have some time on a Monday evening. We do this show starting around 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. I'm usually dorking around on the stream, and then Mike shows up about the half hour mark, and we kick off. It's a coder happy hour. Share drinks and hang out with friends at jblive.tv on a Monday. But thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. We appreciate every single one of you for downloading this here podcast and sharing it with your friends. And we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>